What a blessing it is to be in the house of God as we come together today. I want to assure you today that the assignment that God has given me is not an easy assignment, especially in the culture that we live in today. The culture that we live in today is a culture that does not want to hear what I'm going to be speaking on. As a matter of fact, most people will turn a deaf ear to that. Uh, they will say things like, that's not popular, that's not what we need to hear or want to hear. But ladies and gentlemen, God did not send me here to preach on what you want to hear, but rather what you need to hear. And my assignment is to be obedient to the Lord. So today, I want us to turn our attention to the title today and the title of the series that we are presently in that has been assigned by God himself is titled, the fate of the wicked. I want you to do me a favor today as you look at the series title. I want you to underline or circle the word fate and then circle the word wicked. We know that the title itself uh, causes us to stop and think about that, that the wicked do have a destination. And we realize as we've been journeying together that the word of God speaks directly into that, the fate of the wicked. Now, when we think about that, I want to make sure that you understand this, and I want you to write this down. It's not in your notes, but you need to make sure that you pin these words down. There are two groups of people here on this earth, and there are, I believe, two groups of people that have assembled themselves together here today. And I want you to write down the name of the first group. The Bible tells us that there is a group called the righteous. Now, when you think about the righteous, that group that would qualify for that, I want you to understand some basic elementary truths that we need to embrace into our mind. First of all, we know the Bible tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For that reason, we know that we're disqualified from the presence of a holy God. But thanks be to God, God saw fit to make a way so that sinful man could be reconciled back to a holy God. Because of that, he sent his son Jesus to go to the cross and to die for us. And when we come to him by faith and we invite him into our heart and into our life, there is some profound realities that take place. Now write this down. What happens when you ask Jesus in your heart? Well, there's three things that I believe you ought to write down that's not in your notes. First of all, when you invite Jesus in your heart, your sins are forgiven. Thank God for that. The Bible tells us that Jesus took the ordinances that were against us and nailed them to the cross. And because of that, if any man will confess with his mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in his heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So that when we come to know Jesus as our Savior, we understand that our sins are forgiven, number one. Number two, write it down. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. When you come to Jesus, he writes your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Can I get an amen? And nobody will ever be able to erase your name out of that book. Praise God for that. Your name is etched in the blood of Jesus, and your name is there throughout all of eternity. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thy name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If your name is written there, give God praise today. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But there's a third thing that happens to you when you come to know Jesus as your Savior. 
You are clothed with the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, you will never get to heaven by your own righteousness. So what happens? When you invite Jesus in your heart, your sins are forgiven, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and you are clothed with the righteousness of God. Thank God for that. And because of that, you are called the righteous group. So when you come to know Jesus, you are in that group. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are the child of God. You are the family of God. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You'll go to heaven when you die. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself so that where I am there you may be also. Oh, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Christ will God bring with him. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then those of us which are alive and remain shall be called together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord hallelujah thank God thank God I am saved how about you I know Jesus as my savior oh but there's another group now write this down it's called the wicked group now the wicked group are those that don't know Jesus the wicked group are those that have never trusted in Christ the wicked group are they could have religion but they don't have a relationship they could go to church every Sunday they, they could attend church like this. They, they could be in a group like this. And they could be in here, but they've never come to know Jesus as their Savior. They know about God, but they don't know God. They've understood some things about him, but they've never invited him in their heart. They may be those that have religion, but they don't have a relationship. They may be those that are atheists that say, I don't believe in God. But whatever the case may be, they are called wicked people. Now, now here's the thought. We know that when righteous people die, they go to be with Jesus. Can I get an amen? But today, I want to think about something, and I want to ask you if you would for me, to lean in and listen to me. I want you to, just me and you, nobody else, just me and you, not your friend beside you, not your neighbor in the, uh, over on the, on the fourth person past you, but just me and you. I want to talk to you today about a subject that I don't think most people want to talk about. And that is this, the fate of wicked at the point of death. What happens to people? when they're about to die. Now they haven't died, but they're in the 11.59 hour of the midnight hour of their life. My dad was a godly man. My mom and dad were godly people. They loved the Lord and they were Christians. And I remember my dad got sick. He was diagnosed with a disease and he got sick. And I remember going to his house and spending the night at his house and he was in the middle bedroom and I was in the back bedroom and uh, it came time to go to bed that night and my dad was in the middle bedroom and I was in the back bedroom and he would always call me son. And I heard him in the dark 
hours of the night saying, son, son. And I woke up and went in there to where he was. And uh, I said, yeah, Pop, what's going on? Now, you remember, he's in his last hours. And he said, son, I, I, will you set me up in my bed? And I said, yeah, I'll set you up. So I reached down in his bed. He was in a hospital bed, and hospice had been called in. And I reached down and set him up, and he said, I said, what's going on, Pop? He said, son, I'm a little nervous. And I said, you're a little nervous? He said, yeah, I'm a little nervous. And I said, what are you nervous about, Pop? He said, well, son, I ain't never been there before. And I said, well, Pop, you want me to pray for you? He said, yeah, pray for me. And I prayed for him, and I took my old daddy's hand, put, put one hand here and put my hand around his back, and I just prayed, God, give him peace in this last hour. And, and, and I said, amen. And I, uh, he said, I feel better now, son. And I said, okay. He said, lay me back down. I laid him back down in the bed, and I went back to my room, and I laid my head on my pillow, and I thought, He's, he just told me something. And what he just told me is, I'm a little nervous. And he said, I'm nervous because I've never been there before. Now, he had been to Pell City. He, he had been to Leeds. He had been to Old Boy. He had been to Birmingham. But he'd never been to heaven. And I thought, wow, he's about to go where Moses is and David is and Jeremiah is and Joshua is. He's about to go where Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is. He's about to walk into another dimension that he ain't never been before. Not to mention he's about to see Jesus. And he's about to meet God. And I laid my head on my pillow and I thought, anybody in their right mind would probably be a little nervous about that. But you see, he could lay his body back down on that bed after we prayed, and he could say something like this, Son, I feel better now. And there was a peace that engulfed him at the point of death. But what happens to wicked people? What happens when you are at the midnight hour of your life? And life is... Life is going through your fingertips and you know you're about to die. What happens to wicked people? We talked about last Sunday, uh, we, we, we discussed that there's people that ask this question all the time. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do they get ahead in life and I don't? It's almost as if when you look at wicked people today, it's like they get the thumbs up and you get the thumbs down. And people all the way through history have asked this question, God, why is it that it just seems like they're getting ahead and I'm not? Why is it that things are going good for them and not so good for me? And then we established last Sunday that no matter who you are, there will be a but God moment in your life. A moment where God will step in and he will separate time and eternity for you. Now, I've had the unfortunate responsibility of speaking at a lot of funerals. And what I've noticed about death 
is that death is no respecter of persons. I've, I've spoken at children's funerals and teenagers' funerals and young adults' funerals and adults' funerals and I've spoken at aged people's funerals and what I've noticed is that everybody will have an appointment that you gotta show up at. So, so today, I, I wanted to kind of get your attention and I wanted you to think about your 1159 hour. Right before the clock strikes midnight for you. Right before uh, you go from time to eternity and it's 1159. You got your consciousness about you and all of a sudden you realize you cannot hold on to this world. And the first thing I want to call to your attention is in the book of Proverbs. If you have your Bible, you will open it up to the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, and you will notice that the writer begins to introduce us to a reality that should cause all of us to set up and pay attention. As a matter of fact, when you look at chapter 14 and verse 32, it says, the wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous has hope in his death. Now, don't rush through that because it is a profound reality. The Bible says that the wicked will be driven away in their wickedness. Now, what does that mean? It simply means this, that wicked people will die in their wickedness. They'll be driven away in their wickedness, but the Bible says the righteous has hope in death. So, so the real reality is that wicked people have nothing but wickedness at their 11.59 hour, but when the righteous come to that time, they have hope. They're, 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 they have hope they're gonna be with Jesus. They have hope they got a home in heaven. And then we realize that in the book of Luke, you'll find that in Luke chapter 16, that the writer here uh, gives us an indication about a truth that we ought to pay attention to, and it's found in Luke's chapter 16. Are y'all with me today? Say amen. Uh, Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse number 19, it says, Now there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dolls came to lick his sores and it came to pass that the beggar said everybody died and it was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom and the rich man also said everybody died and was buried and in hell he lifted up his eyes now there's a common thread that we find between the rich man and the beggar they uh, we understand that they were complete opposites as they lived their world but there was something that caused them to be equal and what caused them to be equal was they both died. They, they both were faced with that subject. So, so when we think about this, I want to take you somewhere today. Let's pretend that you're at the 1159 hour. You've lived your life, and now the midnight is about to strike you. And the first thing I want to call your attention to is the diagnosis. The diagnosis that you receive. Uh, we realize that there will come a time, unless the rapture happens, that, that the diagnosis will be given to you or to your family. 
And they will say things like this, the disease has spread. They will say something like this, there's nothing that can be done. We've done all that we can do. There's nothing else we can do for this person. Uh, we are just going to try to keep them comfortable. And they're going to give a diagnosis. For those of you that are in the medical field, you're very familiar with this. All of us at some point or another has had to go and face that in some fashion or another. What's the result? What's, what is this about? And everybody somewhere along the journey will have a diagnosis. And the diagnosis will say, there's nothing else we can do. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 27, it's appointed unto a man once to die. And after this, the judgment. Now, for me personally, I, I'm going to tell you, when I read that, I go, no way, man. I don't, wanna, I don't want that one. I don't like to go to a doctor. I don't like to go to a dentist. You, you say, Brother Jacob, why don't you like to go to a doctor or this? Because they give me shots. I don't like to get a shot. I'm a sissy when it comes to shots. I don't like to go see them. So what I will do is I will say, hey, I don't, I'm going to change the appointment. I'm not going to go today. I'm going to go next week, and I'm going to go the week after. And I'll tell my assistant, call them up and tell them I don't want to come. And she'll look at me with that look, and I will say, no, that's what you need to do. Call them and tell them I'm going to change it. I'll come next week, and then next week will come, and I'll say to her, change the appointment. Finally, she'll tell my wife, and I can't change it no more. But there's coming a time for you where you will have an appointment that you can't change. The God of this universe has already designated a moment for you where he will say to, to you, your appointment has come. Every one of you that are listening today, God has already designed a time for you to meet death. And it's an appointment you can't change. The Bible says in the book of Luke, he spake a parable saying to them, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And he thought within himself saying, what am I going to do with all my stuff? I got a lot of things that, that I got going on. And, and this is what I'm going to say in the next verse. It says, I will do, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build some barns and build some bigger barns. And that's where I'm going to put all my stuff. And I'm going to bestow all my goods. And then I will say to my soul, so uh, you've got a lot of stuff laid up for many years. Uh, you need to eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, Tonight, your soul will be required of you. I don't know about you, but I do know about me. I got a lot on my to-do list. Does anybody know what I'm talking? How many of you got more on your to-do list than you can get done? Can I get an amen? You go, Brother Jack, I got this to do and that to do, and I'm going to tell you something. My to-do list is, is long. And if you don't have a long to-do list and you're bored with life, just get with me after church, and I'll let you do some on my to-do list. But the fact of the matter is, there will come a time when God will say, you're going to have to let go of this. You've been diagnosed. 
your time is up. And when that happens to you, the diagnosis will come, and then there will come a second thing. And that is simply this, the reality of denial. You'll go, no, no, wait. Uh, look, I, I, got, I, got, I, I, I got, still got some life in me, and you're going to fight for that. You're going to fight for that life. And you're going to say, no, no, I'm not going to accept that diagnosis. We're going to get a second opinion, a third opinion. We're going to do everything we can do. Man, I'm going to, I'm going to do all that I can do to hang on to life. And you're going to go into denial. And you'll say, that's for somebody else. That's not for me. I'm too young for that. I've got too much to do. I still want to see this happen and that happen. And you'll go into denial. The Bible says in Luke chapter 12 that he spoke a parable in them saying the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plenty. And he thought within himself, what shall I do? Because I have no room to bestow my goods and, and, and I'm going to build this barn and tear down this barn and, and I'm going to build greater barns and there I'll bestow all my goods. And I will say, soul, you've got things to do and places to go and people to meet and you're going you're, you're gonna to be okay. You're gonna, you, I'm going to beat this thing. And I'm going to keep living. I'm not going to give up to that. And you're going to deny it. And then you will go to the third thing, and that is the reality of dread. All of a sudden, dread sinks in. And the reality of what you're faced with becomes real, and dread comes on your life. And the Bible says in the book of Isaiah chapter 57, the wicked are like the troubled sea. It says when it cannot rest, whose waters are casting up mire and dirt, uh, there is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. And not the Baptist doesn't say that, and the Methodist doesn't say that, and the Pentecostals doesn't say that, and the Catholics doesn't say that, but God says it. God says that you will not have peace. I've watched people struggle with that. I've watched people in their midnight hour. I've watched the, the godly lay at peace, knowing that they're faced with eternity. And I've watched the wicked be restless. I've watched the wicked get angry, fight, Restless in the midnight hour. Watch them roll on the bed and scream with anguish and, and curse God and say all kinds of things and be restless and fight for what this world has to offer. Dreading, not so much dreading eternity, but dreading the fact I've got to let go of this world. I, I dread this. I hate God. I've worked hard for this. This is mine. No peace for the wicked. The scripture says, 
There's no peace, saith the Lord, for the wicked. For those that don't know Jesus in the midnight hour of their life, there's no peace for you. There's only anguish and hate. There's only restlessness. When I could lay my dear daddy down on the bed and say to him, Pop, are you okay? Yeah, I am. How could he say that in his midnight hour? Because yea, though he walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he would fear no evil, for God was with him. Amen. Do you remember when the rich man died and Lazarus died? The Bible says that the beggar was carried by angels into the bosom of Abraham. But the rich man had nobody. Nobody. The denial, the dread of it, the anguish of it, the time that you're laying on your deathbed in your mind and you know that it's going to happen and then the reality of departure. You realize that you cannot hold on to this world anymore. You can't. And you're trying to hold on to this world with everything you've got and it's slipping through your hands. All of your ambitions, all of your material things, all of the things that seem to be important to you is now departing from you. And the Bible says in the book of Psalms, Psalm 73, you have put them in slippery places. You, 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 the wicked is in slippery places, meaning that no matter how hard you try to hold on, it's slipping through your fingers. The Bible says that a wise man builds his house on a rock, but a foolish man builds his house on the sand. And when you build your life on anything other than Jesus, you're building it on the sinking, slipping sands of eternity. And your feet are in slippery places. And the Bible says you will go down into destruction. The Bible says they're brought into desolation. As in a moment... Can you imagine that? A moment. A moment. Everything that had your heart, everything that had your life, everything that had your loyalty slips away, goes away. And you are brought in a moment, and watch this now, you are consumed with terror. This week, I did a lot of study on people that said that they had a near-death experience. And as I researched and looked at all that, the people that knew God said, oh, it was peaceful. It was bright. It was wonderful. But the people who did not know God said, I felt as if I was slipping 
into the pits of hell and my feet begin to burn and my legs were on fire. And I screamed out in anguish because I was in terror. Terror. Can you imagine departing out of this world as a wicked person, slipping away moment by moment and feeling the anguish of terror? It's not a video game. It's not a made-up horror story. It's eternity. We're living in a world today that wants to desensitize you to the reality of it. The world today says, don't worry about it. Eat, drink, and be merry. You owe it to yourself. But there will come a time when you will begin your descent and your departure. When that happens, there will be darkness. It's amazing to me that in the next point you'll see darkness. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine slipping into eternity with total darkness? Now, now, when you begin to study your Bible, you begin to realize that it's not just lights out. It is complete darkness. No light, no hope, no peace, no comfort. When you was a little boy or a little girl, whether we want to admit it or not, there was embedded in you a fear of darkness. When you're a little kid, you're afraid of the dark. And isn't it ironic that the Bible says in the book of Job, chapter 18 and verse number five, it says, the light of the wicked will be put out and the spark of his fire shall not shine. The light shall be dark in his tabernacle and his candle will be put out with him. When you think about the wicked going into the last part of their life, darkness invades them. Total darkness. No, no light of the glory of God. No peace for you. No comfort for you. You're alone. You're by yourself. The angels took the, the beggar into the bosom of Abraham, but not the rich man. He was alone by himself. Life was slipping away from him. And as the life was slipping away from him, the dread of it and total darkness. And then the next thing I believe happens. There will be demons. I believe that in that moment, demons will invade that darkness. And I believe that demons will claw and snatch at your soul. I believe that when the beggar died, the angels carried him. The angels escorted him. By, he had protection. 
He had somebody escorting him into the presence of God. But for the wicked, demons meet you. And those demons are there and they're real. Demons abide in the pit of darkness. And those demons will be there. Not a video game. It will be demons that will be real. And those demons will claw at you. And they will pull at you. Dragging your soul to the very pits of hell. The Bible says in the book of Luke. And in hell he lifted up his eyes being torments. Can you imagine that? That's what demons do. They torment people. And he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus with him. Can you imagine being in that spot of your life where you're at the 1159 hour of your, of your life and part of your soul wants to stay here, but you have been designated a time of departure and the demons are clawing to capture your soul. And then the reality of damnation will set in. I'm damned to hell. No way out. My opportunity is over. The reality of damnation, the Bible says in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have what? No hope. When the 1159 hour of your soul comes in and you depart from this world into eternity, it will be sealed over your soul Damned to hell forever. Not another chance. Not another opportunity. The world captured you. You were too busy with life. You were too preoccupied with things. You even rejected God. You only went to church because somebody asked you once Deborah Blue Moon, but the world was too appealing for you. And now you're slipping into eternity. The darkness has invaded your soul, and demons are clawing at you, and your fate has been sealed. And then the reality of death sets in. The reality that you cannot change this. There is no changing the report. There is no fixing the problem. Psalms 37 and verse number 35 says, I've seen the wicked in great power and I've seen them spread out like a green leaf. But somebody tell me, they passed away. I seen them living the good life. I seen them living the high life. 
I've seen them at their best, but they passed away and they're no more. When I think about that, I shuddered at the assignment that God has given to me. I had much rather preach to you something happy. If you had said to me, Pastor, choose a subject, it wouldn't have been this one. And I fought with God over it. If you knew the anguish that I felt saying, no, God, I don't want to do that. That's not going to make me popular. Matter of fact, people that come probably won't come back. God, I don't want to do this. See, we're living in a world today to where the pulpits have become silent about eternity. And what we've done is we've done exactly what God said would happen. We've heaped to ourselves teachers having itching ears, telling us what we want to hear rather than what we need to hear. And I fought with God and I said, God, I don't want to do this. And God said to me, son, take your Bible. And I wrote the bottom line that's called the reality of the declaration. God spoke to my heart and said, son, take your Bible and turn to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 3. And I did. When I opened the pages of the book, this is what God said to me. Son of man, I've set you as a watchman to the house of Israel. Therefore, you hear the words of my mouth and you give them to them for a warning. You tell them that when I say to the wicked, you will surely die. And you don't warn them And you don't speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. And this wicked man dies in his iniquity. His blood will be on your hands. But if you warn the wicked and he doesn't turn from his wicked ways, then the Bible says he will die in his iniquity but you will deliver your own soul. Say to them as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I want you to tell them to turn from their way and live. Turn you, turn you, turn you from your wicked ways and live, saith the Lord. Why will you die? God said to me, when you have spoke what I have told you to speak, 
to those people, your job is done. Ladies and gentlemen, my job is done. Now it's up to you. From every teenager in this building to every adult in this building, you have been told. Now it becomes your responsibility to decide what you're going to do. Religion won't save you. Being good won't save you. Turning over a new leaf won't save you. The only thing that will change your eternity is to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and live. Come to Jesus and have peace. Come to Jesus and let this world go. Come to Jesus. He's the only hope for your life. He's the only prayer for your eternity. Come to Jesus and live. In just a moment, I'm going to invite men and women and boys and girls all over this building, all over the river campus and all over people that are watching by online and those that are listening by radio. You don't have to die without hope. Jesus died on the cross to give you life, to give you hope. If you would just come to him, he doesn't expect for you to be perfect. He doesn't expect for you to try to do it on your own. That's why he died for you. Because you couldn't do it by yourself. You could never be righteous without him. You have to put your faith and your trust in the finished work of the cross. And if you will come to him, you'll live. You'll have eternal life forever. He will wash you from your sins. Write your name in the book of life and clothe you with his righteousness. But without him, you will surely perish. Today our ministers are going to come, and I'm going to invite you to come. If I were you, I wouldn't let anybody stand in my way to come to Jesus after I heard what I just heard. There is no way that I would stop from coming to this altar. There's some of you that need to come to Christ and give your life to him. There's some of you that need to join the church and start serving him with all of your heart. There's some of you that need to come to this altar and pray for your sons and your daughters, your moms and your dads, your aunts and your uncles, your co-workers. Back years ago in days of old, men of God would preach sermons like this and they would bring hell itself alive and altars would fill up People would run to the altar. They would weep and they would cry and they would scream out to God, save my daughter. Don't let my daughter go to that place. Oh God, save my son. 
save my mama, save my daddy. And they would run to the altar and cry out to God. And they would weep for the souls of those that they loved. But in modern America, in modern church, we tell people, have a good day. And we bless them in their sins and send them out the door dying and going to hell without any hope. Today is your day. My job is done. Will you come to Christ? Will you give him your life? Will you trust him today as we stand together?